united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would be moving within us, God. Lord, help us to humble ourselves, Lord, and Lord, to just fall upon you, Lord, to humble ourselves, Lord, and be honest, God, that, uh, Lord, we're just not good enough, Lord. We're not good enough to get into heaven, Lord. We're not good enough to do well in this life uh, apart from you, Lord. Uh, so, God, we pray again, you'd be moving within us, Lord. Be moving in my spirit, Lord. Help me to rightly divide your word. And, uh, Lord, that it would be clear, that it would be simple, Lord, and that your spirit would help us to apply your word to each and every one of us, God. So we just love you. We thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, we live here in the United States, and America is known as the land of the free, right? Home of the brave. Uh, but today, are we truly living a life of freedom? Are you living a life that you're completely free to do whatever you want? Can you really move and act freely however you'd like to? Uh, that word freedom, it's the state of being free. It's the ability to move and act freely. It's to be released from something that's unpleasant. It's the quality of being honest or open to be able to use without restriction. And even before COVID and all these added government regulations, it seems like something unpleasant is owning us and has rule over our own thoughts and over our own actions, right? For many of us, it's that 3 p.m. cafecito, right? And we're there at work. Maybe at your job is 2 p.m. At your job is 3 p.m., right? But when they come around with the coffee, can we really say no to it or not, right? Or is it just a given, inject it straight into my veins, bring it on, right? Whatever it may be. Does it own us or we say, hey, I could quit whenever I want, right? If I really wanted to quit, I could, right? How about that TV show that you're binge watching? That even though it's on a subscription that you're never going to cancel, even though it's going to be there tomorrow and the week after and the month after and probably the year after, one in the morning, two in the morning, you're saying, just one more episode, right? Just one more episode. And you find yourself there, 4 a.m., you're waking up groggy saying, what has happened, right? Getting yourself to the bed with nothing but regrets the next morning. How about those New Year's resolutions, right? How are they going now in April? Three months in, that cookie, that ice cream, that brownie, who has dominion over who, right? Who really is owning the other person? On a more serious note, a couple of numbers dealing with drug use and suicide rates throughout our nation within the past few years. According to the United Press International, drug abuse and suicide rates have increased over 170% from 2009 
2018. On top of this, COVID-19 has caused a sharp increase in all these findings. Studies have noticed a 59% increase in alcohol use, increases in opioid overdoses, and rises in suicidal thoughts just from 2019 to 2020. Uh, Additional statistics show that 81,000 people died of drug overdoses in 2020. It's the highest year ever recorded, even beating 2019 by over 10,000 deaths, right? Imagine trying to fill this room with 10,000 people. That's the amount of extra people that have died this past year uh, due to drug overdose and suicide. Survey was pulled with people that were 18 years and older across the U.S. of 6,000 people. And they took this survey in June 24th through June 30th of 2020. They asked the respondents to report if they've had at least one adverse mental or behavior health condition. And over 40% responded yes. They've had at least one mental or behavior health condition. 30% of the people polled had symptoms of anxiety disorder and depressive disorder. 26% of them had symptoms of a trauma and stressor-related disorder related to the pandemic. 13% of them started or increased their own substance abuses to cope with the stress and emotions related to covid The percentage of respondents who reportedly gave serious thought and action to suicide 30 days before completing the survey was over 10%. And within people aged 18 to 24, 24, it was 25% of them had a serious thought and time of suicide. One in four people 18 to 24 of those polled. Again, do these people really have freedom? Their thoughts, their actions, their depression, their anxiety, do they really have freedom? Do they really have control over it? Are they free to move wherever they want? Or do these things own them? They're trapped by them. We're living in the safest time in history. The average lifespan of the American is 78.5 years. It's nine years longer than it was in the 1950s. The GDP of all the nations of the whole world continues to grow year over year. There's more democratic countries ever than ever before, and yet depression and anxiety have taken hold of people that we love dearly. I know many of us, we know of at least one person that has committed suicide over these past two years, and again, we live in the safest time in history. A couple other statistics dealing with pornography, it tells us 25% of search engine requests are related to sex. 35% of every download on the internet is pornographic. 70% of men, again, 70% of men, 18 to 24, visit a pornographic site at least once per month. $3,000 is spent every second on pornography, just on the internet alone. In 2018, a study focused on students And pornography, it tells us 27% of teens receive sext, which is text messages with sexually explicit content. 15% of these teens are sending these messages themselves. 51% of male students and 32% of female students first viewed pornography before their teenage years. 
The first, ex the first exposure to pornography amongst these individuals is 11 to 12 years old. As far as marriage and divorce, 68% of divorce cases involved at least one party meeting a new lover over the internet. 56% of, of divorces involved at least one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Are these people free? Can they really be free? Are they really owning their lives? Do they really own their wallets? Do they really own their minds and their bodies? Or does each time their master calls them, they have no choice but to obey? Each time the fear and anxiety kicks in, they have nothing but obedience to it. Every time they get that sexual urge, they think that they have to fulfill it. That they are unable to function unless they fulfill these certain things. That's slavery. There's no freedom there. And that's not talking about drug and alcohol use. Again, depression, other addictions. Are we really living in a free time period? Are you really free here today? Are you here and you're dealing with anxiety and depression? Are you here and you just seem like you are owned by pornography and your sexual thoughts? In John chapter 8, Jesus gives us a clear and specific answer to any of us, to anyone on this planet who is committing sin, who is attached to these different things. In John chapter 8, verse 34, we can turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you, this morning we're going to do our best to put the verses up on the screen. And there in John chapter 8, Jesus himself gives us uh, quite the declaration here. He tells us in verse 34, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Again, Jesus warns us. He's warning the Pharisees here. Anyone who is committing sin is a slave to sin. Sin owns them. This word sin, again, we don't really use it that often. We know that it's in religious circles. In the Greek, it's in the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? When he had to shoot the arrow throughout all the tops of those swords and he could not miss the mark. That's what sin is. It's to miss the mark that you're aiming for. In practical terms, it's breaking the moral law. And the one who created the moral law, the one who governs the moral law, a moral law that we all love and enjoy for our own lives, it's God himself. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Again, each of us, we enjoy the Ten Commandments when it comes to defending our own lives, right? We like that it shouldn't be legal for you to murder me, right? We like that you shouldn't steal from me. You shouldn't commit adultery with my spouse, right? That We love those rules, but yet when we break them, we become slaves to continually break the moral law of God. Again, whoever we obey, that's our master, that's the one that owns us, and each time, again, when we're alone, sometimes when we're together, sometimes when we're in a group of people, our master can beckon, and we have no choice but to obey. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it gives us a warning about our master. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Again, each and every one of us, whoever we obey, that's our master. 
And now here Paul, he's telling the Romans, he's saying, hey, you have two choices. If you have sin being your master, it can only lead down one path. And that's death. Death in this life and, the de- and death in the life to come. But if we are a master, right? If God is our master and we are his servant, his slave, it leads to righteousness. It leads to life everlasting. I think we all know the statistics, right? 10 out of 10 people die. 100 out of 100 people die. And death is really an, a question that very few have an answer for. What happens after death? What makes you believe that you get heaven instead of hell when you die. The Bible really defines death as a great separator. It's a separation that seems like it can never be repaired. And if we continue to allow sin to be our master, it leads to separation. Not only in this life from the people we love, from the money in our wallets, from true joy and happiness, but it also leads to a separation from God for all of eternity. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he continues in this thought, and now he tells us what's the end goal, what's the end game if we continue in sin. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, our life's work leads to death. The wages of all our hard work, All of our sweat, all of our practicing, all of our studying can only lead to death. But Jesus Christ, he's come and he wants to give us a gift. He wants to give us eternal life with him and freedom from sin. Freedom to be able to tell our old man, our old master, no, I don't do that anymore. I'm closed for business. I don't do that anymore, right? But this gift, it was so costly. It's so expensive. Yahoo Finance, they had a story that listed some of the most expensive sports tickets in history. Don't know how many sports fans there are here, but the third most expensive sports ticket was in 2017, Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, right? It was a boxing match. It was Conor McGregor's debut in boxing. He didn't do that well, right? It was basically a professional versus an amateur. But tickets to sit ringside cost over $157,000. Again, that's a pretty good house in Central Florida. Not in Miami, but in Central Florida, right? Get a pretty nice house for that much. In 2017, again, the Cleveland Cavaliers were playing the Golden State Warriors. And courtside tickets for Game 5 got as expensive as $133,000. The most expensive ticket sold was when the Chicago Cubs played the Cleveland Indians. Again, it was record-breaking World Series. Two teams that hadn't, been to the world, hadn't won a World Series in decades or centuries. And someone paid $1.17 million to see the Cubs end their 108-year championship drought. Again, expensive tickets. Could you imagine someone purchasing one of these tickets and giving it to you? And you just do nothing with it? I wouldn't blame you if you sold on StubHub and bought a house, right? (laughs) Did something. I wouldn't blame you at all. That's probably the wise thing to do here. But can you imagine just having that ticket sitting on your counter? You do nothing with it. Just throw it in the trash. Again, these tickets, they're expensive. Any of us, we'd take a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, right? But the price of these tickets pales in comparison to the gift that God has given to us. 
The sinless, the perfect blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and me because of you and me. Because of our sins, because of our life's choices, because we continually break the moral law of God. And because God loved us, he decided to send his only begotten son to die for each and every one of us. That we have a chance to accept this, to live for him and follow him. I should have paid the kiddos ministry workers. At the 9 a.m., right after I mentioned this, my two-year-old son walks by and goes, Hi, Dada! Super loud in front of everybody, right? Again, I love you all. I care for many of you. Some of you I'm related to. But I wouldn't be willing to give up my Luke to save any of you, right? You've made your own decisions. You've made your bed. You sleep in it, right? And I have two sons. God was willing to give his only begotten son to take our sins upon him to go through the death that we should go through that in his resurrection now we can rise as he is risen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. A couple of scriptures. We'll camp in Romans 5 in a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It tells us, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it tells us, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. And Paul here, he continues this thought of the price and the love of God for every single one of us. The love that he has for every single one of us seated here. Every single person in this room. Every person here in this planet. Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 through 10 It tells us, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath Through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, he paid it all for us. He demonstrated his own love towards us that even while we were still sinners, even while we were enemies of God, enemies of the kingdom of God, even when we scoffed at him and made fun of him, he was willing to die taking our place. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, it tells us that he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. That we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Probably the most famous scripture in all the Bible. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life again the promise that christ has for us it's not just freedom in the life to come but it's freedom today it's freedom from those cruel masters that own us today he wants to give us freedom today and tomorrow and for all of eternity the work has been done 
The gift has been paid for. Now the choice is ours whether we spend this life and the one to come connected with Jesus Christ or if we spend this life and the one to come on an eternal conquest for destruction. Just heaping on destruction after destruction after destruction until we spend eternity in hell forever. Those are, that's the choice that God has given us. Because he was willing to pay the price. Because he was willing to take our place and our sins and our penalty. Now we can live. Again, Jesus has come to give us freedom. Freedom from what? Again, first and foremost, the penalty of sin, which is death. Again, this life and the one to come. He also wants to give us freedom from the power of sin, slavery of being owned by sin. Bill Moyers, he's quoted as saying, Freedom begins the moment you realize someone else has been writing your story, and it's time you took the pen from his hand and started writing it for yourself. Yeah, it's a great quote. Many of us should take more ownership of our lives and stop allowing everybody else to do things and blame other things on people, right? But the problem is we don't have the power in and of ourselves to rewrite our eternal story. We don't have the power to grab that pen and write sin out of our lives. We don't have the power to grab that pen and give ourselves entrance into heaven for all of eternity. But family, Jesus Christ does. He has the power. He is the Son of God, and He's died for each and every one of us. If you're still there in Romans chapter 5, you can go to chapter 6. We'll read a couple of verses here. In verse 5, it tells us, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Again, there's, a, there's dependent. There's an if there. The only way that we get to be united in his resurrection, not having to taste of death, not having to taste of hell for all of eternity, is if we have been united in the likeness of his death. And Jesus, he's an honest guy. He's a gentleman. He's not going to try to pull a fast one on any of us. He tells us from the beginning that our old lives need to be put to death. But if we do so, if we accept that contract, then we're given new lives and this resurrected power and freedom. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus warns us. He tells us in verse 23, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Has this been your story? You've been striving so hard to protect your own life, right? You've been striving so hard to protect your freedoms that Sunday it's fishing day or brunch day or freedom day, right? But your life is slowly slipping away. You're spending all your time and all your effort saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm made to be. And your life is falling apart. What Jesus tells us is if we're willing to give up our lives, we get to take his on. 
But if we're so busy consumed with our lives and protecting our pride, not willing to seem as weak or humble in front of someone else, we will lose our life. And that's why he says, what profit is it? You gain the whole world and let you lose your soul. You're destroyed. Your life is gone. And the warning to us is that if we're ashamed of him and his words, when he comes and he will come, he will be ashamed of us. Again, true freedom, true power comes from denying ourselves and following Jesus Christ. That's the life of power. That's the life of freedom. Willing to give up our own lives for Jesus and what the Bible has to say. He continues in verse 6 saying, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now again, that old man, it's not your dad that was crucified with Jesus, right? There's a story of a, a mom, she asked her son, hey, what did you learn in Sunday school today? I learned that G- dad was one of the two thieves on the cross. <laughs> what? Yeah, today we read in Romans 6, 6 that the old man, he was crucified next to Jesus, right? That's not what it's speaking of there. It's saying if we're willing to deny ourselves and follow him, there's a supernatural process that happens there. Our old self, which was unable to say no to sin. See, this is the reality. If you're not saved today, you don't have a choice or option. The moment sin grabs your chains and rattles them, you don't have an option but to obey them. The sad reality is for those of us who are believers, that's the same reality. And now each time we go to sin, it's a conscious decision that we're making in spite of the freedom and price and penalty that Christ has made for us. If not, you're lying. You're saying, Jesus, your sacrifice was not enough. This sin still has dominion over me, and that's a lie. Again, this is a supernatural process that happens that our old self has been put to death on the cross there with Jesus Christ, and now we are no longer slaves to sin. But again, we have no power or ability to complete this process. We can't crucify ourselves, right? The joke is there's always one hand that can't put the nail in, right? might be able to get the feet, you might be able to get the hand, but there's still one hand that's just free. It's a supernatural process that is done in faith in Jesus Christ. And when we make that decision in faith, we're told to just account it as if it's done. Just account it as if it was done. That if we're saying, Jesus, I love you, I'm following your Lord, your Savior, it's done. And now we are to live our lives from here on out saying, it's done. I'm free. Those chains don't own me anymore drugs sex alcohol that doesn't own me anymore what people think about me that doesn't own me anymore philosophy humanism all these things that doesn't own me anymore I am a new creation and I know that this is a tough decision how many people are really willing to lose their life to gain a question mark in a sense right here in Miami there's many Cubans and Venezuelans and they know the price of freedom They know the cost that is connected with getting a life of freedom and giving up an old life, right? It's a tough decision. I encourage you, right? We need to take a pros and cons list. I don't know if that's you here today, right? Any small decision where you want to go out to eat, you pull out a whiteboard and you got a pros and cons, right? Some of us were number crunchers and we need to do the math for every single decision we make. Are we willing to lose our life, to give up our life for the sake of someone else? Let's turn to Luke chapter 15. And here the Bible shows us a young man that was able to live life at its peak, 
had more money than he had ever earned, spent it as fast as he got it, and yet he came to a point when he was able to make that pros and cons list, he was able to do the math, and he made a decision. There in Luke 15, verse 11 Jesus says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me my inheritance, in other words. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and he journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But he came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Here in verse 17, he did the math. He made a pros and cons list, and he realized even the slaves in my dad's house have more food on the table than I do right now. Because no one in the world cared about him. No one in the world really cared about him. No one in this world really loved him. And he came to the thought process. He came to the idea. He did the numbers and realized it's better to be a slave in my father's house than to have this freedom out in the world. In verse 22, verse 20, I'm sorry, it says, not verse 20, not verse 22, verse 18 He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Again, I encourage you, if you do that math, God doesn't want to just take you in and beat you down to become a slave in his kingdom. He doesn't want to just take you and now use you as an ox or a mule to do his work. He desires to invite you back into the house, throw a huge party, pull out the patriada, right? Grab all the meat, all the food, and throw a huge party because his son is back into the home. Jesus has the same process. We read it earlier in John 8, verse 34 and 36, right? Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we will abide with him forever. 
And he says the slaves don't stay in the house forever. The slaves, they don't get to sleep in the house. They don't get to stay in the home. They have to go back outside. He takes us, and instead of just being slaves to sin and now slaves to him, he adopts us and brings us in as his own sons and daughters. In Galatians 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, you are an heir of God through Christ Jesus. That not only are we sons and daughters, but now we are heirs to the throne. We are princes and princesses, right? We've talked about it. I've never heard any dude say, like, yeah, I'm a prince of Christ, right? It sounds kind of strange. Back in Romans chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, it continues. And again, the freedom we can have today, the freedom we can have over our thoughts, over our anxiety, over our fear, the freedom we can have today over drugs and alcohol, sex, freedom over being consumed with what people think about us, freedom. Verse 8 and 9 tells us, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Again, I don't know many people that are concerned that Jesus is going to have to be crucified all over again. It's been done once and for all. There's no fear of that. And the same is true for us, that if we believe with him, if we died with him, we're going to live with him. And now death has no dominion over us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. God wants to take you and make you brand new. Take away all that sin, all that shame, all that baggage, all that weight, all that brokenheartedness, all that anxiety, all that depression. He wants to take all of that away and make you brand new. Wants to make you a son or daughter of the king. Again, not only freedom from slavery of sin and our own thoughts, but freedom from the dominion of death. Freedom from the consequences of sin. Death will no longer have dominion over us because of what Christ has done. Let's turn to Matthew 21. We'll read this parable here from Jesus. And we went through this a little while ago in young adults and just too special, too important to pass up. Again, we've spoken. He's purchased the ticket. He's purchased the gift. It's just sitting there if we're willing to take it or not. If you want it, you can get it. It's there. What will we do with it? What will we do with all that he has done for us? Here in Matthew 21, Jesus, he, he gives us a story. He's speaking to the Pharisees, and he tells them that there was a certain landowner, and the landowner, he's the one who planted a vineyard. He built the, the fence around it, he dug the wine press to process all the vineyard, all the vines, all the grapes, all the wine. He builds a tower for protection. He does all the work, and now he leases it to some vine dressers, and he goes into a far country. Now when the vintage time drew near, the time to reap the harvest, right? He sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. 
He says, hey, I'll build everything. I'll do everything. Just give me a small cut of the wine that you're able to process. Verse 35, it tells us, the vine dressers took his servants, they beat one, they killed one, and they stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? The Pharisees, they answered Jesus and they say, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. And he will lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus answers them, right? He answers a bunch of priests. He says, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Again, we live in a day and age where Christianity, where Jesus, where the Bible, it's mocked. It's mocked as something ancient, something ridiculous. Are you kidding me? You believe that thing? You believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in the Easter bunny too, right? Same difference. He's mocked. He's looked down upon. He's scorned. But one day he's coming. And if we're not willing to today accept him as Lord and Savior, you're going to have to deal with it on the bad end of it. Again, on Monday nights with the young adults, we've been going through the life of David. And there's a time in David's life when he's on the ropes. He's running for his life. He's hiding from cave to cave. And he has a couple hundred men with him. And even though he's on the run, he comes and he meets a family with a man by the name of Nabal and a woman by the name of Abigail. And I feel bad for Nabal. His name literally means fool. Right? What kind of parents were this, right? They have this little baby boy. and oh, We'll call him fool, right? We'll call him little dummy, right? Let's call him little dummy, right? So David's men, they're on the run. They're on the ropes, but they see Nabal. Nabal, he has 3,000 sheep. If you would have 100 sheep in this day and age, you'd be a wealthy man. But 3,000, right? Imagine owning 100 Bitcoin today. You'd be a wealthy man. Now imagine 3,000 Bitcoin, right? You'd be on an island. You wouldn't be here this morning, right? That's where you'd be. And David's men, they decide to help protect Nabal's sheep. They protect his sheep. They protect the, his servants. They protect his wife. They protect his family. They protect everything that he has, everything that he holds dear to himself. The servants would later on tell Abigail that David and his men, they were a wall to them day and night protecting them. Later on, David would send 10 of his young men to simply ask for some food. It was the festival where they would harvest all the sheep. They would sell the sheep. They would sell the skin. And they would have a huge festival, right? Lamb chops for everybody, lollipops. Everybody would have a great time. And David is simply asking for some food. Nabal responds telling David, right? He's not the king right now. We know he's going to be the future king. But Nabal responds telling him, who in the world are you? You're a runaway slave. 
David, you're a nobody. I don't know you. I don't know your name. I owe you nothing. This bothered David. This irked him. He told all of the men with him, he says, gird your sword, right? All of a sudden, 500 men are going to kill the one guy that cut David off in traffic. That's basically what's happening, right? And Nabal doesn't realize that there's 500 men. There's 400 men and one that are going to come and kill him and take him. But Abigail, his wife, runs to meet the future king. And instead of telling the future king, who in the world are you? I owe you nothing. She falls on her knees and she assumes the guilt. She says, it's my fault. I've done this. She has a great gift and she gives it to David and says, here, take this. This is what's owed to you. She comes to the future king in humility, hoping that the king would forgive her and be willing to take her offering. And family, each and every one of us will have this interaction with the future king. Jesus, he may seem like he's on the ropes today. You yourself may have mocked him this week. You may think he's a joke. This is all a joke. There's all a bunch of blind people that don't know what's going on. But he is the future king. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And even though he's being bashed and diminished and dismissed, he's been protecting you and all that you hold dear, even though you give him no credit. What did you do to keep your heart beating today? What did you do to keep your lungs working? To keep your body from getting an aneurysm? To keep someone from taking the red light and T-boning you on the way here? What did you do to protect any of that? He's been a wall of protection to you and your family for all of your life. And now how do you respond when the future king simply asks, Can I sit down to eat with you? Can I share life with you? Can you give me my cut? Can you give me my percentage? I've protected your entire life. Are you willing to... Give up your life and follow me. That's all that King Jesus asks of us. How will we respond? Will we be like that foolish man, Nabal, telling him, I owe you nothing. Jesus, you're a joke. You're nothing but a runaway slave. Get out of here. Or will we fall on our knees like Abigail, assume the guilt, and plead for mercy? Again, if that's you here, a couple things to keep in mind. What should we do? First and foremost, believe. John 8 verse 24 tells us, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Believe. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the only way into heaven. Jesus, he's not a self-help guru. He's not the one trying to hype you up so you could be the best version of yourself. That's a lie in church today. We are dead. We are nothing. We can't do it in and of ourselves. He has all the power. He's the only one that can grant us eternal life. He's the only one that can give us freedom from our sins and from death and from hell for all of eternity. Believe. Believe in who he is. The next thing, it's to repent. Luke 13 verse 3, Jesus tells us, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. My sins are my own. It's not my parents raising me. It's not the world I grew up in. It's not the world today. My sins are my, are my own. And if we want this salvation, we need to say, my sins are my own. And Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Lord, I'm sorry for breaking the moral law that you have created time and time and time again. Next, to confess. 
Romans, 9, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, it tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This plan, this relationship, it's not something for you to hide. It's something for you to confess. I hope none of you are willing to get married here and your fiancé says, hey, let's keep this on the deal, right? We don't want anyone to know that we're married, right? Hopefully you say, what? It's done. It's over with. If we've accepted him as Lord and Savior, we should be confessing who he is and what he's done for us. Next thing to do, abide in his word. John 8, verse 31, Jesus tells us, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Christianity, heaven, is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a place you go. It's spending time in the word of God. That's what salvation is. It's accepting all that he's done. And now because he's done so much for us, we're willing to reciprocate that love back to him. Finally, get baptized. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, we have a baptism April 17th, South Point Beach Park. Baptism doesn't save you. But you're just announcing to the world what God has done in your heart. So again, family, who are you? Are you the fool that looks to Jesus and say, I owe you nothing. You haven't protected me. I've done all the work. I'm the one that's done all the work to keep myself alive, keep people from crashing into me, keep my heart from failing. I've done all the work. Are we humble enough to realize Jesus has done it all? Not only has he kept me physically alive today, but he's kept me spiritually alive. He's kept you physically alive today so that you would accept him as your Lord and Savior because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Again, we have many family members, that friends that have committed suicide in this season. Many friends and family members that have passed away from unforeseen circumstances. So perhaps today is the day you need to get saved. It's the last chance, the last moment that you have to come up for prayer and say, I want that. And again, you could be honest. If you've been here for years... And you say, I prayed a prayer once when I was eight years old, but I lived like hell ever since. Don't have faith in that prayer. It has no fruit. Jesus says they will know you by your fruit. What's the fruit of your life? Do people look at your life and say, man, it's Jesus. It's the word. It's integrity. It's character. It's all about God. Or would they say other things, right? Maybe some four-letter words. Maybe some other things about you. Don't have any faith in that prayer long, long, long time ago. Today can be that day of salvation. So hey, the worship team, they're going to come up. The pastors are going to be up here. We're going to sing some songs. You guys sung so beautifully. Worship time was so special. And man, if you're here and you're saved, I encourage you, just pray. Just pray. Be praying for the Lord to be moving. If you're here and you're saved and yet you've been going back to sin, you've been going to sin saying, sin, be my master. Sin, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. I encourage you, come up this morning and get that power from the Holy Spirit to be able to say no to our flesh once again because Christ doesn't save us to leave us half free from sin that's unbiblical that's a lie whom the son sets free is free indeed we need to walk in it we need to walk in it and again if you're here this morning and you've never prayed that prayer or you were like me and you prayed that prayer once a long time ago in kindergarten and you realize you lived anything but like a Christian since then Pray that prayer once again. Know without a shadow of a doubt and say, from here on out, I'm living for Christ with all I've got. 
Again, as hard as we lived for the world, we should be living that hard or more for Christ. So hey, let's pray. Let's all stand. We'll pray and we'll close in worship. Again, if you want to pray that prayer, you want to pray for anyone, come up front. So Lord, we just love you, God. And Lord, we are humbled at your love for us, God. Lord, we're humbled, Lord, at your mercy and your grace. We've done nothing to deserve this, God. And we've done everything to not deserve it, God. And yet you still love us. You still died for us, God. You still have patience with us even this morning, Lord. And God, I pray that your spirit would just be moving here, Lord, and help us sense the weight of our sins, Lord. Help us, God, to sense the weight of those chains from our cruel, cruel masters, Lord. Our masters that want nothing but death for us and for everyone and everything whom we love and hold dear, God. I pray that we would sense that weight, Lord, and that you, Holy Spirit, through your power would cause us to come up and ask for prayer, to come up and ask, Jesus, free me from these sins. Free me from these chains. Free me from hell for all of eternity, Lord. We pray you would do that this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.